Chapter Ten of Forest Days by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten. Not a little was the surprise of uncle and nephew at thus meeting in the midst of Sherwood, but it was greater on the part of the old Earl than of Hugh. The scene, indeed, in which he found his venerable relative might astonish the young gentleman a little, for the free rangers of the forest, the profusely covered table, the wine barrel, and the drinking cups, were certainly accessories which he had not expected to see around his noble kinsman. With the deference, however, which at that period existed for age and renown, he expressed no astonishment and asked no questions but dismounting from his horse proceeded in answer to his uncle to inform him why and how he had returned instead of accompanying the earl of ashby on his way either to lindwell or to london but as the reader is well aware of the circumstances connected with the sudden disappearance of lucy de ashby and of the part in seeking her which hugh de mothama had taken upon himself we shall not recapitulate this part of the young knight's account but content ourselves with stating what success he had met with in the pursuit. "'Last night I swept the whole roads through the forest,' he said, "'in a breadth of about two miles, without discovering the slightest trace of any one who could have had a share in this outrageous act. I met a swineherd at one time, and then a ploughman, with two potters bringing along clay in a cart, but no other persons whatsoever.' "'Why do you smile, good forester?' he returned, turning to Robin Hood. "'Because, noble sir,' replied the outlaw, "'men in the forest of Sherwood are not always exactly what they look. "'It is difficult there to know a carrion-crow from an ousel.' "'I may have been deceived, indeed,' said Hugh de Mothama, "'but in one thing I must be right. "'Whether they be ousels or carrion-crows, "'they had no lady with them. "'However, I arrived at Oxton, in the wood, an hour after sunset,' and as there was no possibility of pursuing my search any farther then, I remained at the house of the reeve, making inquiries amongst the people of the village, several of whom were coming in from their work in the forest. Last night I discovered nothing, but this morning at dawn a man was brought to me who reported that, in crossing from Southwell about noon yesterday, he had seen two ladies on horseback, accompanied by a number of men on foot. The lady, he said, was gaily dressed and very beautiful, the earl smiled, and certainly a lady of high degree. They were bringing her down towards Mansfield, the fellow thought, so I set off at once, beating up every road in the neighbourhood, and often losing my way. From time to time, however, the sound of a horn led me on, though I never could discover who it was that winded it. Did the man imply, asked the earl, that the people who accompanied this lady were using force? No, replied Hugh de Mothama. He vowed that she appeared to go very willingly, but still I thought it could not but be the lady I was seeking from her great beauty and her dress. "'As if there were no beautiful woman in the world but Lucy de Ashby,' cried the earl. "'What say you to this story, Robin? You should know if she has passed this way.' "'No lady higher than a Franklin's daughter has gone on the road to Mansfield,' replied Robin Hood, "'except the prioress of Wakefield, who came by yesterday with about a dozen men on foot.' and a nun with her. She is a goodly dame to look upon, too, with lips like a pair of cherries, and as to her dress, she had a pulled liripapy, might have suited a court harlot, a dagger at her girdle with a silver chain, a peaked hat, and a gold medal round her neck. Yes, she was a goodly dame to look upon, and weighed some fourteen stone or more. 
I have seen fatter women, but not many. Pah! said Hugh de Mothimer. You are jesting. Not I, in faith and truth, cried Robin Hood. She is the only woman of rank who has passed this way for a week, and assuredly I ought to know. There is a bevy of as pretty country maidens as ever came out to see foresters shoot at the butts, but I will answer for it that no lady of higher degree than themselves has gone along the road to Mansfield, except, indeed, the prioress of Wakefield, and the nun who went with her. But did the good man tell you no more? His information must have been somewhat scanty. He told me, replied Hugh de Mothema, with a momentary smile, crossing the anxiety which his countenance displayed, he told me to take care how I went, for I might meet with Robin Hood and his merry men, and come home with a loss. Aye, said Robin, aye, and doubtless you answered, my young lord, that you were not afraid, but would bring Robin Hood to Nottingham if you met him. No, answered Hugh de Mothimer, no, I said no such thing. I told him, on the contrary, that I should be very glad to see bold Robin Hood, and that I was sure if I did, we should meet and part good friends, as he and my uncle had fought side by side in the good cause of old England. Robin Hood held out his hand to him, replying, You said right, young lord, though, let me tell you, it is not every gay gallant who may come through the forest that would go out of it again without having his smart skin taken off his back as if he were a brown hare or a spotted deer. But you have come just at the nick of time. Let your uncle go on and tell the Earl of Ashby, when he finds him, that Robin Hood says the loss of his daughter is the judgment of the Blessed Virgin upon his head for winking at Richard de Ashby's carrying off the child of as honest a man as himself, and making a leman of her. It would be no marvel to hear that she has gone astray with some wild young Frenchman of King Henry's bringing over. Nay, look not so fierce, my noble lord, nor colour up so red. I mean no insult to the lady. How should I know aught about her or her character? but if I had her in my hands, she should never return to her own home till the old earl had pledged himself to send back idle Kate Greenley. However, it's no affair of mine, you'll say, and we have weightier matters to think of. Both your uncle and myself were mightily puzzled just now, as he must go on at all speed, and yet it is needful that I should have someone here to consult with in regard to the news I expect tonight. You have come, then, just in time to remain with me, and to settle whatever plan may seem expedient according to the tidings that I receive. Hugh de Mothimer looked doubtfully from the face of the outlaw to that of his uncle, and then demanded, Have I your word that she has not passed this way? I pour my soul that she has not, replied the forester. The young man cast his eyes down towards the ground, and thought for an instant or two, a suspicion having taken possession of his mind. He knew not well why that Robin was better informed of Lucy de Ashby's fate than he chose to avow. Before he had brought his meditations to an end, however, the old earl interrupted them, saying, "'It is very needful, Hugh, that, if possible, you should remain here, as he asks you. From your account you have sought this fair lady much farther than you undertook to do. You have likewise been misled a little from the track, I fancy, and it seems to me more than probable that some emissary of the king's or of the earl of gloucester's who has been lately proclaimed by de montford a traitor may have got possession of the fair lucy as a hostage for her father's neutrality gloucester proclaimed a traitor said hugh de Mothimer. 
"'Then are active times coming, my dear uncle? "'I will not refuse to stay if it be needful, but still—' "'You could do no good by any farther search,' interrupted the earl. "'She must either have been found by her father or her brother, "'or must be far away ere now. "'I look upon it as a duty, Hugh, "'that one of us should remain here this night. "'And assuredly I ought to go on.' "'Enough, enough!' replied Hugh de Mothama. "'Your wish, my lord, is sufficient for me. "'But what can I do with the men? Two of them belong to my lord of Ashby, "'and where can I stable my horses?' "'Send them all away but your own charger,' said the outlaw. "'You are not afraid to stay alone with Robin Hood, "'or Robert of the Lees, if you like the name better?' "'Not in the least,' answered the young gentleman. "'I know I am as safe with you, bold Robin, as in my own castle.' "'Take them, then, with you, fair uncle. "'And you, sir,' he continued, "'turning to one of the Earl of Ashby's servants, "'bear witness to your lord "'that I have sought this young lady far and near, "'with all zeal and due devotion. "'Tell him, moreover, "'that I have ascertained beyond all doubt, "'as you yourself have heard, "'that she has not passed in this direction. "'Should he himself find her, "'I trust he will send me a messenger "'to ease my mind, "'that is to say, "'to save me the trouble of farther pursuit.' "'Well, then, I will away,' said the old earl, "'for the sun is getting far down already. "'I sleep to-night at Stapleford, "'and to-morrow go on for Derby. "'Follow me quickly, Hugh. "'So long as you are in Sherwood with our good friends here, "'you are safe, "'but I will leave you half a score of archers at Stapleford, "'and, should I find the roads dangerous, "'will send you some spears from Derby. "'If you learn by to-night's tidings that war has already begun,' Arrange with bold Robin for a levy of as many yeomen as possible, and let them march to join me wherever I am making head. Thus saying, the earl, putting his foot in the stirrup, flung himself lightly into the saddle, gave a brief order for the attendants who had followed his nephew to fall in with the rest of his train, and, once more grasping the hand of the outlaw, without forgetting his companion, Little John, he rode away, taking, as his parting benison, a loud cheer from the band of yeomen. "'Now, my young lord,' said Robin, when he had gazed for a moment or two after the gallant old earl, "'you seem fatigued and exhausted after your day's ride. I will warrant you, you have not broken bread since—' "'Since five o'clock this morning,' replied Hugh de Mothama, "'but that matters not. I am more anxious than tired, and care little for food.' "'Nonsense, nonsense, young gentleman,' cried Robin, taking him by the arm and drawing him towards the table. "'Here, someone hold the horse. A slice of yon baron, though it be, like a timid counsellor, neither hot nor cold, together with a cup of Bordeaux wine, will do you good, young sir.' "'Nay,' replied Hugh, "'give me one of those barley cakes and the wine you speak of. That is all I want. Where do we rest to-night?' "'Some three miles hence, on the way to Nottingham,' answered the forester, "'and if you will not sup now, you must have a rear supper there.' "'While Hugh de Muthama broke the barley-cake and drank the wine, "'Robin spoke a few words in an undertone to little John, "'who replied, laughing, "'No fear, no fear, there is plenty of light, dear little souls.' "'Nay, but I will have it so,' answered the leader aloud. "'Now, my merry men and pretty maids, disperse, and God's blessing be with you.' "'but let it be remembered that if there be a damsel away from her home at sunset, "'I will reckon with the man that keeps her. "'They are all under the safeguard of our honour, "'and we shall lose their sweet faces at our feasts if any evil happens to them. "'Those who have sturdy shoulders clear away all that is left, 
and let it be given to the poor in the villages round. So do the monks at their gates, and Robin Hood will be as good as a monk, though his gates be the meres of Sherwood. Here, cooks, here is your reward, and let the tapster take the tons for his pains. Very rapidly after these words were spoken, the numbers on the green began to disperse. Some sauntered down the road, some disappeared amongst the trees, and those that remained made themselves busy in carrying off the platters and trenchers from the table, and piling the whole of the simple dinner service, stools and all, into some large country carts which stood near. No horses, indeed, were upon the ground, but that of Hugh de Mothimer, and the white charger which had borne the bold forester, and which was still seen under a tree, finishing slowly a trough of oats that had been put down for its consumption. The boy who had held the beast while Robin was waiting for the Earl of Mothimer now stood close to his master's side, looking up into his face, and at a sign of the finger he darted away and led up the steed at a quick pace. Robin laid his hand upon the urchin's head, saying, "'Good boy!' and that word, if one might judge by the smile of the young countenance, was reward enough. "'Now I am ready,' said Hugh de Mothimer, and mounting their horses they rode away into the wood. "'You will sup better to-night,' said Robin, as they went. "'I do not know,' replied the young lord. "'I am anxious about this young lady, Robin. That is the truth, and anxiety makes but bad sauce to the most savoury food.' "'Nay, nay, take heart of grace,' said Robin. I doubt not she is well enough wherever she may be, and it becomes not a gay gentleman to pine for any lady till he knows that she fares hardly. Nay, I do not pine, replied Hugh, not liking the term. Methinks I do not look much like a sick crow or a magpie in the moulting season, but still I must feel somewhat anxious, as you would if you had ever seen her. Is she so very beautiful, then? said Robin Hood, with an arch smile. Faith she is! answered Hugh de Mothimer, and more beautiful, though you may think my description savours of extravagance. But it is not so. I have seen others, perhaps as beautiful, perhaps more so, but there is that sort of charm about her, that sort of sparkling grace, which is like nothing but the bright morning sunshine, giving fresh loveliness to everything it lights upon. Are you sure that the charm is not love? asked Robin Hood. But let us talk of other matters. Here we must turn off from the road, and I take you through paths in Sherwood unknown to any justice, either north or south of Trent. Although I could well trust to your knightly honour, and to your regard for the laws of hospitality, yet I must here exact from you a promise, which every one makes who is led where I lead you. It is that, upon your honour as a true man and good knight, everything you see or hear from this spot, till I lead you back to the high road again, shall be forgotten as soon as you quit me and revealed to no one. No, not to your confessor. The notions which then existed of knightly honour caused Hugh de Mothimer to give the promise exacted from him, without the slightest hesitation, and that having been done, the bold forester led him on through one of those narrow lanes which we have before mentioned, where only one horse could advance at a time. This path continued for about half a mile, and opened out into one of the widest parts of the forest, through which there seemed to be no track of any kind. It was not one of those spots properly called coverts, which name was only applied to woods so thick that the branches of the trees touched each other, but, on the contrary, it was a sort of wild chase scattered with fine old oaks, and encumbered with an immense quantity of brushwood. 
There were patches of green grass to be seen here and there, indeed, and once or twice a sandy bank peeked out amongst the bushes, while two or three large ponds and a small silver stream appeared glistening at about half a mile's distance from the spot where the horseman issued forth from the lane. It was as lovely a forest scene as ever the eye rested upon, for the ground was broken and a thousand beautiful accidents diversified the landscape. Every here and there a tall mound of earth, sometimes covered with turf, sometimes rounded with brushwood, would rise up, bearing aloft a graceful clump of trees, while the setting sun, pouring its long horizontal rays across the wild track, cast lengthened shadows over the ground below, and brightened all the higher points with gleams of purple light. Beyond again, at the distance of not less than two miles and a half, and considerably lower than the spot where the two journeyers stood, reappeared the thicker coverts of the forest, rolling like the waves of a deep green sea in the calm and mellow rays of the departing day, while a slight mist here and there marked out its separate lines, growing fainter and more faint, till some distant objects, like towers and pinnacles, they might be clouds, they might be parts of a far city, closed the scene and united the earth with the sky. Here all trace of a road ended, but without the slightest hesitation, bold Robin Hood led the way onward, threading with unerring steps the different green lines which separated one mass of brushwood from another, guiding his companion under one tall bank and round another high mound, between the boles of old oaks and across the dancing stream, without even once meeting a check, or having to pause in his whole course through the woody labyrinth. At length, however, the sun went down, and the twilight just sufficed to show Hugh de Mothama his way, as they had reached the lowest spot of the chase, and approached a clump of several acres of thick covert. There was a path at one angle by which Robin and his companion entered, and winding on in darkness for some way, for the trees excluded the whole of the remaining rays, they at length emerged into an open space in the centre, where they could again see, though faintly, the objects around them. Opposite to the mouth of the road by which they came was the first building that they had seen upon their ride. It was of a very peculiar architecture, consisting of round stones piled upon one another, and cemented together, being what, I believe, is called rubble, while the windows and doors alone presented hewn stone lintels and transoms, with short small columns supporting each. A quantity of ivy had grown over the greater part of the building, but there were lights within, and for a moment Robin Hood drew up his horse as if to listen. Here, he said at length, lived and reigned a Saxon thane when the trees of Sherwood were yet young. His bones lie in a little chapel behind. The memory of the place has passed away, as well as the people that inhabited it, and it has come to be the abode of a child of the same race, when outlawed for the love of his country. End of chapter 10